Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me on this sports podcast where there's a lot to cover. It's August, but there is so much going on in the world of sports. Talking to my good friend, buddy, Yahoo Sports betting producer, Kent Brown. A lot to discuss in the world of UFC, the NHL and NBA bubbles, college football is a giant mess, golf, NFL, you name it. Always some pro wrestling in there as well. Kent Brown joining me on this topic of uh, all sports this week on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, big, big friend of the show, reoccurring guest to talk about a wide range of sports topics. He may or may not have all of his toes after running with the bookies, but Kent Brown has joined the show. Kent, thanks for joining. It's good to be back. Went to Vegas last weekend, watched a lot of UFC, lost a lot of money on UFC. So I need these sports in my life. I need I need basketball. I need hockey. I need baseball. I need golf because I got to win back what I lost on Daniel Cormier and Sean O'Malley. So uh, it's been a fun time. It's a great time to be a sports fan, but you're right. I have all my toes. I have all my fingers, but I was definitely down a few zeros, so to speak, in the bank account. I forgot you had Cormier. I didn't know you had O'Malley, but that makes sense. Um, I'll start with this. What's a worse way to lose a fight like that, or to lose a fight? Is it just kind of a grinded-out decision where you just you know, slowly death by a 1,000 cuts like Cormier, where he loses five rounds, gets poked in the eye, or O'Malley, where he just like basically dislocates his ankle and uh, you know it's, all, it's over pretty quickly after that? Yeah, I would say it's probably harder for the fighter when it's like O'Malley went down because when you look at it, he you know, had a pretty good first couple minutes and then he just couldn't continue fighting. As soon as he got down, it was over. And I think that because it's out of your control, you just feel mm-hmm. bad where Cormier, I think deep down kind of realized now I know there was the eye poke and things like that, but overall, you know, he was just outperformed. So yeah. I would say it's easier to accept that, especially knowing his age and this being the third one, like the rubber match, but I think for O'Malley being undefeated and being like a potential future star, it's tough to just lay there and know like I can't get up. It's over. As a better, you always want to have a chance. Like maybe there could be a knockout even if you're losing. But I'll just say this. When you have a fighter like Cormier that obviously couldn't see at the end, I'd rather just lose my money quickly like O'Malley <laughs> instead of just grind it out to the finish line. Well, and I had a couple. I had Stipe, so I did a few props that I had both guys in rounds three and rounds four. So if it was going to be decided, I would have loved if it ended in round three or round four. And thus, no matter who won, Mm -hmm. I would have profited at least a little bit. But, yeah, I just went to the cards. And congrats on your your Cleveland guy for for keeping the heavyweight championship. And hopefully O'Malley can get healed up and he'll be back at some point. Yeah, wasn't planning on top on talking too much UFC, but you did bring up a good point, and I want to segue with this because Stipe did. You know, he, you know, it's great. He's he's got the greatest UFC heavyweight legacy, uh, you know, in the UFC for sure. Uh, he poked, you know, there were some eye pokes in there that were unfortunate on both sides. He did say he was sorry to uh, Cormier when he poked him in the eye. My question to you, Ken, is what would have happened if John Jones poked him in the eye? Because I don't think there'd be an apology. I think he would just be stomping on his face on the ground while he was <laughs> in a state of disarray. Yeah, those two. I mean, the back and forth that's gone on for a while. Now we see Jones is trying to get back into the heavyweight mix. and uh, We'll get into the heavyweight belt, mix so. because he's yeah. never, you know, on one hand, Reyes gave him the fight that some people think Reyes won. It was, it was close. 
Some people want to see it run back. I get Jones saying, look, I've done basically everything there is to do. The other side of that being he's gotten in trouble in every way there is to get in trouble. So yes. what happens now? Jones wants to be heavyweight champ too, and uh, there's a good reason to think that that will one day happen because he's still only, I think, 33 years old, which is still pretty young for a fighter. But it's going to be interesting because Francis Nagano deserves the title fight. He's he's beaten everybody, all the challengers around that division. It's his turn. He's waited for three years to get a chance to fight Stipe again. Jones, I think, needs a heavyweight fight against a contender, not the top guy, Kemp, because I think he needs to kind of see DL, what it's like Derek to fight. Lewis. Give yeah. Derek Lewis. He needs to see what it's like to fight at, the, at a different weight class, at a different you know weight that he's fought his entire career, as good as he is. And just the funniness that will come out of Derek Lewis and John Jones, because Lewis is just even in defeat, he's going to be a guy that's going to be entertaining on the build up. He's a different, as you said, a much different looking fighter in terms of how big he is. And, you know, that's one that could main event a pay-per-view and people would be interested in. I don't I, I know what you're saying right now. It looks like it should be Nganu and it should be Cormier or sorry, Stipe. And then. If whoever wins that, then John Jones could fight the winner yeah. of that down the line. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be down for a little Derek Lewis, John Jones as kind of the winner gets a heavyweight title chance. And then if Stipe can beat Ngannou again, then he keeps his title and it's him against Jones. So I would I would sign up for that. I think Dana would sign up for that, too. Yeah, Lewis gets uh, Curtis Blades as the fight that they already made. And, and the winner of that, yeah. I mean, is it, it, right at the doorstep, too. Uh, Jones, I mean... He also wants more money. I mean, that's what we're getting at, too, with this. He, he wants to be paid more. That's another sensitive topic, a topic for another time. Uh, I want to get to football in a second, Kemp, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up. You were great at finding out random facts and random stuff for broadcasts, but that text you sent me during the baseball game a couple weeks ago, got to be the funniest stat I've ever heard. Do you remember that? Because I have it pulled up if you don't. So it was a Marlins and Orioles game, and it, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even remember the exact stat, but it was something about some guy getting suspended and the team oh, yeah. not paying his <laughs> suspension. So tell them. Yeah, it was a crazy stat that got – it was on the Fox Sports Florida broadcast during an Orioles-Marlins game, like week one of the season, or maybe right after the Marlins came back from their like week-long quarantine, basically. Yeah, it was the uh, Geico stat of the game. It was 1901. And the guy's name was Jimmy Hart. <laughs> the mouth of the South. Yeah, so his name was Jimmy Hart, mouth of the South, as you mentioned. Uh, 1901 Orioles first baseman rookie. He punched the umpire, John Haskell. They also have the umpire's name, which I think is lovely. We're just going to identify. We're going to dock everybody here. In the face and serves a 10-game suspension. Quits after going 4-for-4 four four because the team wouldn't pay his $25 fine. Now, also, no. This is basically like one. This is basically one sentence too. So, <laughs> yeah, twenty five dollars in nineteen oh one is, I assume, pretty significant, right? I've never done that like currency math. I'm sure you can do that and find out. Like, what would the equivalent be of nineteen oh one one dollar compared to now? Because twenty five bucks sounds like that would be like a pretty solid week, if not like several weeks' pay back then. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have the equivalency on me, but that that is a lot of money. I would assume that's what you're getting for a good portion of the season back then. Uh, but punches the umpire too, so maybe he just maybe he played <laughs> hockey after. I don't know. Could you uh, imagine if that happened now? Like all the stuff that we see and how much 
on social media where things are either blown out of proportion or just things are amplified to now have a situation where a guy beats up <laughs> an umpire or a ref during a game and then just quits the team because not because he's ashamed. It's because the team won't pay his fine. That would be great. I feel like Ron Artest could have been that guy at some point in his career. Who would be – okay, here's a question for you. Who yeah. would be the most likely pro athlete right now? And let's just stick with the main four sports. Okay. So NHL, MLB, NFL, or, you know, I would say Darwin. You know, who would be that guy? I, I, I would think maybe if he just completely lost it, like I guess Antonio Brown, if he ever comes back and <laughs> That's plays. That's a good one. That, that is a very good one. Who would you think? Uh, okay, main four off the top of my head. So I kind of would say I would say it would have to be a football player or a hockey player would be the first two that come to mind. Because I don't see a baseball player just turning and decking the umpire. You know, I just don't. I got to feel like, you know, cooler heads would prevail then. Um, right, there's no more Albert Bells left in baseball. <laughs> yeah, we've kind of gotten uh, we've kind of gotten rid of them. Okay, uh, from the football side of things, um. Hmm. Well, I I followed Frank Clark from his Michigan days, so that's one that just comes to mind. <laughs> apologies in advance if I suggest your name. It's only because you have off-field issues. Tyree Kill, if it's a woman. Rush. Uh, well, they just they just reinstated Alden Smith, so uh, <laughs> that's, we could go to hockey too because uh, there's a few. You know, I, I'd say mostly enforcers. Like you could go to like the Brad Marchant type that are more you know, rats in that regard, but I don't think they would haul off and punch an umpire, punch a referee. Yeah, maybe if Matt Cook was still playing. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> He'd be up there for sure. I saw him, by the way. I went to, years ago, I went to a WWE house show, and he was in the front row, and the main event was a cage match, and it was, I think, The Miz versus CM Punk in a cage match. And this is when CM Punk was the champion, and Matt Cook's in the front row, and me and my buddies are just joking, saying, I feel like Matt Cook wants to come into that ring and just beat, beat up both these guys, like, right now. <laughs> yeah, he might. He might. Uh, that's funny. Matt, I forgot that, uh, you know, Matt Cook, exactly not popular. He should have gone to Boston. That would have been a good reaction. Do you remember <laughs> oh, that? When you were, do you remember that, that whole thing? I was trying to oh, yeah. explain some of the dirtiest plays in hockey. And, you know, you get the big ones, like Claude Lemieux. There oh, was, I've, been, uh, I've been in the middle of yeah. – friends who are Bruins and Penguins fans debating the severity of Ulf Samuelson and Matt Cook and oh, yeah. whether they were as dirty as Boston people think and it's a funny place to just sit there and let a diehard Pens and a diehard Bruins fan just complain about that for like four hours yeah that, I, man I would say too like that's definitely that's definitely a tough choice do you ever did you ever see the clip? I know we're riffing here, but the uh, it was uh, the dude for the Capitals were playing the Islanders. Pierre Turgeon was the was the player for the um, for the Islanders, and he gets hit by Dale Hunter. The Islanders are going to win the series. It was actually I think the year they beat your Penguins and ended the three peat ninety three ended the chance for a three peat. Oh, and the Islanders beat the Penguins. Yeah, yeah. So it was the it was a series before they beat the Caps. They win like four nothing. Anybody out there listening that hasn't seen this, Pierre Turgeon scores a goal. That makes it like four or five nothing with a minute left. Like game's over, series is over. Coliseum's going crazy back then. They hadn't been good in forever. And uh, Dale Hunter, who plays for the Capitals, actually ended up coaching the Capitals for a little yes, bit he after did. that. Yes, he did. Waits a good five seconds and then just destroys Turgeon into the boards. Broken shoulder, never the same player again. Didn't play for like a year. And Dale Hunter's excuse was he didn't know he scored. 
<laughs> like he didn't know he scored in New York. Everyone's going nuts. Bergeron's got his hands in the air in celebration, and he's like, "I didn't know he scored." So that might be the dirtiest play uh, I've ever seen. But the first ever puck I got at Mellon Arena as a fan, or well, not first ever, the only puck I ever got while I was just in the crowd was when the Penguins played the Capitals back at the old Igloo, and Dale Hunter shot it. The puck was deflected into the crowd, and it landed like the row behind me, and I grabbed the puck. So that was my Dale Hunter memory. But more so, I just remember him losing in the playoffs year after year after year and then he became coach and he lost in the playoffs year after year after year so as far yeah. as i'm concerned he's always been a bad playoff performer and i'm not surprised by the cheap shot i would throw uh to answer your original question milan lucic is on my list for sure i definitely think he's got the capability to just snap <laughs> yes. uh so we'll, we'll bring it there and another guy too after this series is, is we'll just kind of transition to bubble playoff hockey but uh, Nikita Kucherov, I really hate. He's become one of my least favorite players <laughs> in the NHL right now. And uh, it's crazy because he has got he won the MVP last year. Uh, props to Tampa Bay for ripping my heart out and throwing it onto the street. But uh, the Lightning beat the Blue Jackets. But, you know, it's the little unnecessary dirty plays. Like, in a way, Kent, I don't know how you are as a hockey fan, as a Pens fan, but I've always appreciated the guys that are just like, if you do anything wrong to me, I'm just going to punch you in the face and fight. It's the radish behavior. It's the weasels out there that just always irritate me it's a slash after the goalie and then hiding behind your goons it's you know stirring it up but doing just enough to avoid the reckoning as i say so uh kutrop congratulations as chris jericho <laughs> used to say you just made the list and look last year i know your blue jackets got the best of them mm-hmm. the sweep and this year the lightning were the better team there was there were a couple hell of a games that yeah first five one overtimes. that went on five overtimes yeah. then you had another overtime game uh, in game five and look the lightning were out shooting them seemingly like two to one in some of these games so it made sense but i think overall as a blue jackets fan you'll trade the one year where you where you humiliated them and then the next year you just lose and it's so be it well look uh we all figured that this day was coming eventually uh tampa bay had more talent last year and this year Yes, to answer your question, if you're going to prefer which year to do it, and obviously in front of the home fans who never seen them win a playoff series, was a pretty special moment. I'll give Tampa credit in this regard. They restructured their team as best they could to get better for a grind of a playoffs. They actually you know, had to get tougher and physical to beat teams like Columbus and then go forward. It's the reason why they hadn't won a cup in this new era, even before last year. Look, Kent, Columbus lost their top two free agent goal scorers and their starting goalie last year. So for them to do what they did, I know I'm playing the uh, moral victory card, but it's pretty phenomenal they even got to the bubble past Toronto, whose top three forwards make more than all of Columbus's forwards combined. Yeah, you get to knock off the home team. You get to knock off the darlings of Ontario, really one of the only only teams that, like, you can rival – with like a college football fan base or like a green Bay Packers or New York Yankees, you take that Toronto fan base and they're as rabid as any. Now, granted they weren't in the crowd, but nonetheless, this, this is a team that, you know, eventually they need to get over the hump. So I'm Mm -hmm. with you. The fact that they win that series and even make it to the first round or the quarter finals of the conference, it's still a hell of a year for the blue jackets. And they've now proven they're a consistent team that you expect to be in the postseason, you expect to be in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they can make noise. They haven't quite gotten mm-hmm. to that next hump of you know conference championship, but that's pretty hard to do. I mean, a yeah. lot of teams don't get there. That's true. Kent Brown here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, as far as your you know playoff hockey interest, I know you're watching a lot of this. The Penguins kind of 
you know, they got swept out nice and early. But are you kind of just from an impartial standpoint, or are you just taking the approach of rooting against certain teams like the Flyers? How are you consuming all this <laughs> hockey content? Yeah, I would say number one would be at this point, if I bet on some games, that has interest. You know, I look at some of the over-unders. I wanted Edmonton to stay in as long as possible because – you can't make the over-unders high enough in their games. Oh. And uh, now I'm starting to feel that way with the Avalanche, even though they're kind of doing it one-sided. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of uh, – I'm getting a little bit into like a, like a nostalgia. When I was a kid, I loved Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick and yeah. Forsberg and Adam Foote and all those guys. So I really liked – uh, you know, I like the Colorado Avalanche, and I remember, like, you know, Rob Blake. I would have debates about him being the best defenseman in the league, and some people saying he wasn't. And hmm. uh, you know, I'm, so I'm kind of on the Western Conference. I'm I'm rooting for the Avalanche, not any way close to how I would root for the Penguins, but I, I would be cool to see them back in the Cup Finals because right. they haven't been there in forever. And then the Eastern Conference, it's as you said, just as long as it's not the Flyers <laughs> and preferably the Capitals. Uh, I would be pretty cool with whoever else comes out of the Eastern Conference. And if it's the Lightning, if it's the Bruins, uh, maybe the Islanders, I, I have nothing against them. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't alive during their whole time when the Islanders were like the best dynasty since the old school Habs. So for me, I've looked at the Islanders almost as an afterthought most of my life. Well, yeah, I think most of us have of a certain age. Um, Unfortunately for you, I know the Flyers lost tonight. They look to be a, a team built for a run for the first time in a while. It's funny that they had to take that step back, trade away some guys a few years ago to kind of really get that foundation. But um, they lost an absolute bloodbath of a game tonight as we record this. The Canadians, that was violent and fights and everything, you name it. But uh, the Capitals, I know you saw last night, they were about to get swept out until Ovechkin basically just took over the third period. Um, but they're they're a team where if they lose this if they lose this series, I mean if they lose in five for sure. I don't think Reardon's coming back. Barry Trotz, the coach that won them the cup, they don't bring back, they promote his assistant, and Trotz now coaching the Islanders is just yep. shoving it down that team and that organization's throat. Um, but I, I don't know why they felt like they had to run him out immediately after uh, that happened. So pretty crazy. I, I do want to make some uh, just some bubble hockey uh, thoughts now that I can kind of. You know, take a step back and look at it. I've been watching pretty much all the games and definitely now with the Blue Jackets out, able to kind of gather some thoughts. The Avalanche are amazing. They are probably, they probably look like the best team in the bubble. I'm not exactly breaking any news. Um, McKinnon is the second best player in the NHL. I, I think we've got to, you know, acknowledge that. And it's crazy that yeah. we don't, you know, obviously McDavid's good. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, question the throne necessarily, but McKinnon is right there with him. He's on par. He does, he does it night in, night out, and he's a tank out there. Uh, you see the over-unders, like you were saying. I mean, that offense is deadly, and, and I know Arizona was kind of fortunate to go on the run they had and be matched up against Nashville. The competition will get more intense, but that Avalanche team, it's pretty fun and exciting. And I would throw this out to you, too. Vancouver, I know they're playing the Blues right now. They are a very fun and exciting team, and I used to hate those Vancouver teams with the Sedins and the way they played yeah, and, right. and Luongo, and I never thought. They were probably my least favorite Canadian team, which is funny saying that, but the way they are now with how young they are, I saw the comparison to a young Chicago team. It's not that far off. Now, it's probably unlikely you're going to win three cups, but they have all the young talent. They have Quinn Hughes, who's one of the best, if not the best, young defenseman. So Vancouver is another team that... It reminds me of your Penguins, the year when they got kind of shellacked by Ottawa. They got in the playoffs, they played a good team, and this was like the stepping stone year. So whatever happens with Vancouver, I think that's what this is for them. 
Yeah, back in the old days when the Pens were playing in Ottawa and it's on uh, what what was it? Versus was the big hockey. Yeah, yeah. Provider it was oh, it was like point. OLN, right? Outdoor or it was like outdoor something before that. The Outdoor Life Network yeah. first, and then Versus. <laughs> so yeah, hockey's done a much better job. I I, I love the way that they've done this playoffs. I think that I'm not for like, obviously I don't think a qualifying round makes sense going forward. The way people are talking up the NBA, trying to keep maybe a nine or 10 seed for a one or two game playoff. I like the traditional quarterfinals. I do enjoy though, the fact that we've now dumped these divisional playoffs for at least this year. I like the old one versus eight, four versus five, you know, you reseed after the first round. And I hope they stick with this. I Granted, it was fun when the Penguins were beating the Capitals every year in the second round. That was a lot of fun. But it's also kind of one of those deals. It would have been a little bit more fun if every so often it was a conference finals. And then more stakes were had. Or you get to see a team like the Bruins before a championship series. Or like the Penguins never really got to face the Bruins. And when they did, they yeah. got their asses kicked a few years ago but i like the whole one versus eight i don't think you need to do three teams from every division and all the wild cards to me do one eight four five two seven three six and see what happens and also you brought up mckinnon and then you bring up mcdavid the one thing mckinnon has going for him now is i know he's not quite as talented but he's probably going to be in the playoffs making runs for the foreseeable future the one thing edmonton hasn't shown is their ability to win a series and it's kind of in that Mike Trout mindset with baseball where you have the most skilled guy in a sport, and yet when that sport, which is a niche sport, baseball now is the way hockey is for a national base, people don't really know about Connor McDavid as much because he doesn't get to the cup finals. He doesn't get to the second round. And I'm, I would root for Edmonton to get there. I kind of want to see them yeah. turn it around, and it would be fun that if three weeks from now or a month from now we were watching Edmonton play with the highest of stakes – Instead, he gets, what, a playoff series every four years and he loses? Like, that's not good enough. Yeah, they made one second round, uh, I think it was the Ducks that got him. And, uh, yeah, similar comparison to Trout and also that they're both producing. I mean, there was some stat where McDavid and Dreisaitl, the, who's probably going to win the MVP this year, right. playing on McDavid's line, they were accounting for like 80% of Edmonton's goals. I mean, and they still and they still couldn't beat the Blackhawks of all teams who bowed out against Vegas. So, yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's been intense. The players have bought in, you know, to ramp it up to playoff hockey with uh, without fans there, and also after the time off, you see a lot of teams that are veteran laden doing well because they've had time to, to kind of heal off and recharge the batteries. A lot of times you're fighting to get in, and then you're just running on fumes already. What's uh, your thoughts on Rask quitting as this went on? Well, there was the personal matter uh, that that I think came out today that he had some stuff going on with one of his kids, and you never want to just get in the middle of telling anybody what to do there. Uh, the problem was, and I think it was a fair perception, a fair criticism, was he made some comments like he was having a tough time buying in, you know, well before. Like the yeah, he said it he felt like an before. exhibition, yeah. So it definitely sounded like his heart wasn't in it, and uh, I'm not going to say he shouldn't have opted out when he did, but obviously because it's personal issues. But it sounds to me like his heart was never in it to begin with. And if that's the case, and, I'm, and I could be speculating here, then he shouldn't have showed up to begin with. You know, right. every player has that right to not do that. We see it, you know, more often in, in some of these NBA players not playing. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, and the problem is I haven't watched too much basketball with hockey kind of, you know, taking full function in my brain. But they tried, you know, they did the they, they did regular season games to start. And I think that was kind of tough to just kind of sleepwalk to start. And now you got playoffs and I don't think there's a coincidence why 
Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence why the two one seeds lost their first games because you know they were just playing these meaningless regular season games and now suddenly we're in the playoffs. I'm right, and a lot of people have to think about this. I mean, granted, it's a different environment, but the seeding round for hockey was a little bit bizarre. I mean, the Bruins ended up yeah, not Bruins and Blues any were wins. both were the top yeah. teams, and they both got no wins yeah. and got the four seeds. So right, and then on top of it for basketball, a lot of times late in the season top teams kind of don't show up in your last six or seven games, especially if you're already clinched a one seed the way the Bucks and Lakers already had. So I don't read as much into that as I think a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. I feel like even in the regular season, if there were home games, I don't think that would have changed a ton. Now, I do think, as you said, it changed for the Blues, who only had a you know one point in their seeding round, and yeah, then the Bruins got shot momentum. out. Yeah, they lost yeah, exactly. all that momentum. And, and you know, basketball... Things notwithstanding with what's happened, I think the playoffs, they last too long. I think first round should be best of five. I think, honestly, there's probably too many teams in basketball in the playoffs. Now, I know we're saying, like, oh, the eight seeds won the first couple of games. Portland's like an anomaly because they had, you know, Nurkic was hurt. They had all this injury trouble. They had, they had issues, and they were able to kind of get healthy, get right, and then hit the ground running, you know, in the restart. I think if I was basketball, the one thing I would have done with the bubble restart is try to do the hockey model of, just hit the ground running and do like a playing round and maybe some seeding rounds where you can try to get these, you know, top teams to buy in at least to the fact that there might be matchups they want. So they'll play for play hard just to avoid teams in the playoffs. So um, it's nitpicking. Uh, I don't know necessarily that the Lakers and Bucks are in trouble, but if they were to lose, it would not be the worst thing in the world if there's some parity in the first round of the playoffs for God, God forbid. Yeah, in the NBA, you almost never see it, especially in the first round. Mm -hmm. It starts to become, frankly, a lot of times, it, it really only becomes a competitive playoff when it gets to a conference final. A lot of times, even the second round, there's not a ton of competitiveness, where, as we know in hockey, growing up watching it, one seeds can go down all the time. Teams can get swept in the cup finals routinely. It's not almost anything goes once you get into the cup playoffs where in basketball that's not normally the case and it's been fun i mean i've i've had on i just actually ordered another tv that i'll be picking up you know in a couple days and so i'll have basketball on non-stop hockey on non-stop and then uh, you throw in the fact that you know golf is going through their playoffs that start tomorrow with the fedex cup basketballs or sorry football's around the corner uh, i know for you some tennis majors are mm -hmm. happening so it's it, we're getting there so far it was kind of a very slow three, four months, yeah. and uh, now there's like sports overload. And you know, myself and our friend Matt Gothard, who we did our podcast with a year or two ago, we talked about of this today through work. We both work at the same company, mm -hmm. and we said like it's going to be sports overload for us, but like that's a good thing. It's going to be a lot of fun to just have so many sports on every day for the next couple months. So I love it. I mean, even if these games are blowouts. It's better than it's better to have something on. It really does feel like a little bit of like March Madness, where you get these noon Eastern and two thirty Eastern games, and you know, especially early March Madness games, there's not much of a crowd anyways, so you kind of has the same vibe of like those early morning Orlando right. games. But uh, yeah, I would say uh, for these players, a lot it has to be an entirely different mindset now going in, knowing that home and away, and there's no travel, so. I think for hockey, that probably messed with some of the veteran teams because yeah. they're more used to routines. And I think some of the younger teams have shown better because of it because they're not used to the playoff stage. They're not used to the fast travel and the overwhelming 
you know, crowd that steps up in the playoffs that's so much different than, you know, your game 37 of right. your regular season. So I think on that level, maybe some of these young players in both the NHL and the NBA will actually step it up more because they're just not used to the normal routine of the playoffs. You'd be very well right in that one. Kent Brown still with us on the Money Mitch effect. Um, you mentioned golf. I just want to bring up, you know, you're you're as big into golf pools and everything. Was Morikawa on on the radar? Did you think he was going to have a chance to win the PGA before? Because yeah, uh, he's he's been another so young consistent. kid coming up. Yeah, he's been so consistent. I mean, I thought I really kind of. Uh, you know, I would say when Nick Faldo talked about him in a tournament, this is probably, you know, when the comeback started and he said already he's one of the best five iron players in the world. Mm. And he was only a rookie last year. He was in college last spring, won his first tournament last year, and now has won two more, including the PGA. So I think he, he showed his ability last year by winning as a rookie. You know, he was an All-American four times in college, which now – that matters a little bit more than it used to because these kids are just so much more advanced and they're coached better than they, you know, back in, let's say, Tiger's era. Tiger was kind of the only guy who was like a consistent All-American caliber guy that I think people can – that they were going to bank on. He's a future star. Yeah. Now in college, if you're an All-American, I mean, look at the rookies right now. You have Hovland. Well, you have who's that kid? Wolf? Wolf. Wolf was the one, yeah. Who, who yep. That was his first major, right? And he how he shot on Sunday, he finished, I think, 10 under, and he was – at a time yeah. he had the highest score to finish. I mean, he got passed, but yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah. just, it seems like you're right. Like there are more and more young guys coming in and just because you're an all American doesn't mean you're just automatically going to go to the top. It's pretty competitive for the young guys. Oh yeah. Morikawa is up to fifth in the world now. And I mean, he's just, I actually, it's funny. I, I so uh, I golfed with somebody who played against him in high school and this is pre PGA, but I think after he won, uh, up in your neck of the woods, up in Ohio, at you memorial? know, it was a work. It was the workday oh, yeah. charity oh, yeah, open yeah. before the memorial. Okay. They played back to back week. But the kid said he goes. It was funny because in high school he was not the best player mm-hmm. in our area. He's from near Pasadena, and what he said though is he said he's very intelligent. He's extremely smart. He remembers everything. He'll learn on the fly. And on top of it, he does one thing well, which is hit his irons. And it's funny, like you watch, and I've done this when I've gone. I mean, I know you joined me this year at Riviera, but we didn't watch any of the guys warm up. But when you actually go and watch that, especially like Tiger, his caddy and him or his coach will work on, they'll go fade, they'll go slice, they'll yeah, go cut, yeah. they'll, and he'll just do all the shots. Morikawa, there was a funny statement about him in college where he said, you know, second year in college, he started realizing, like, why don't I just stick with my fade? That's what works. And he said 90 to 95% of his shots are fades. And Nick Faldo joked about that. He said, I'm not sure he can even shape shots. <laughs> but if you can hit one shot better than yeah. everyone else, you're going to be in good shape. And for him, the one thing he did really well at the PGA was he putted well. He'll get better with that. That's probably his weakness right now uh, in comparison to the rest of his game. But, yeah, that par five, where, or the par four, I should say, where he landed it within eight feet. And made the eagle putt. Yeah, that was that the was one. About as impressive as anything we've seen in years. So that was a great, a great Sunday and a really cool job for him. And now we'll see what happens with the FedEx Cup playoffs. Kepka just bowed out. He continues mm-hmm. to be hurt and he's struggling. Tiger's coming back because you know he would like to make that top thirty in two weeks and you know compete for the Tour Championship. And the biggest prize in all of sports, fifteen million dollars, is on the line in two weeks at yeah. East Lake in Atlanta. So. 
it's it's a pretty good cool thing and then usually when this finishes mitch it's football a week later and there's no more golf on the radar until like tiger yeah but now we got event. a lot coming on yeah we got the u.s open coming up we have the masters coming up so it's only going to step yeah. up more but yeah i'm excited for the fedex cup playoffs for sure and i think maybe one name if you're just looking to throw anything on xander shoffley he's been a guy who hasn't really won much but he's been but he's been top five top tens consistently and I can see Xander Shoffley stepping it up a ton. Of course. And uh, you said the biggest prize in the sport. I thought you were going to say, like, punching Bryson in the face or something. That's what you win. But, no. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it is funny else. how hated he is. Man. He really but, is. Uh, he is fun to watch, though. He's really fun to watch. Yeah. Well, it's fun. I was hoping for Tony Finau to kind of break through on a Sunday at a major. It hasn't happened yet. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, Kent, as far as football goes, i got to switch to that now because uh, – well, I'm not. I'm ready to not watch my team, and you're ready to watch your team play in a conference. So I think that yeah. says 2020 perfectly right now. Um, you've been kind of, you know, close to all this, the pulse for all this. Big Ten shutting it down. Pac-12 just jumping on the Big Ten's back, showing no sort of spine whatsoever. Not surprising. SEC, Big Twelve, ACC as of now planning to play. Should we expect more dominoes, or do you think we're pretty set in stone right now for what the, the landscape's going to be? I think as long as these teams can get through the first month or the first few weeks of their college students being back on campus and, you know, trying to get through it all, there's a reason why, especially the SEC pushed it back to late September, is just so you have that wiggle room. Mm -hmm. The ACC is looking like they'll jump the the second week of September. The Big 12 is also going to start playing then. That might be a mistake. I feel like late September does make a little bit more sense, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, as of now, barring some calamity, it looks like those three conferences, including Notre Dame with the ACC, they all plan on playing. And, you know, I really hope they do, clearly. I want college football. I wish Pac-12 and Big Ten and everyone else was playing, the Mountain West and the MAC and so on. But overall, you mentioned spineless, and it really was. <laughs> Pac-12's decision to just wait for somebody else to make the decision for them. That's why I'm also kind of glad Maybe it doesn't happen, and in a week or two, it's pretty evident we can't pull this off. But I at least like the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 sort of just saying, okay, let's take yep. a breather here, figure mm -hmm. things out. And if we can't do it, what's really the big deal in just waiting three more weeks or two more weeks? Especially the when the players are safe in that bubble, as we've seen. So Yeah, yeah and that's going to be another thing, too, is how many of these schools – I think it's good news, if not – absolutely needed news for these schools like Notre Dame has had some stuff this week North Carolina's had some stuff it's best for these football programs if there isn't any in-person classes and if everybody can do things online you can really at that point start to isolate your team as much as possible it's still college kids they're still unpaid athletes they'll, they'll make more mistakes than probably the pros will just because the pros have money and frankly can be fined if they mess up you can't find a college player but uh i do think if these teams can just kind of isolate their their football players from everyone else as much as possible that's how you get things done and that could really be the way you win a conference if clemson can't do it or mm -hmm. if notre dame can't do it then maybe right. one of those mid-tier acc teams step up if oklahoma somehow has it where they all of a sudden can't take the field or they have 30 players out Maybe you have a Texas Tech or some team like that that all of a sudden beats them and upsets them, and the same will go for the SEC. You know, it's still Bama, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, LSU, all those teams, but 
who's to say there can't be a mid-tier team that if the if they can get their health in order, maybe, maybe they'll rise to that occasion. And it's disappointing. Like with you being an Ohio State fan, I just don't know why they made this decision so early. And uh, if it comes back that there is a full season this fall, that's going to really look bad for both those conferences. I made my uh, statements clear last week of being upset with the uh, NCAA leadership as well as the Big Ten. Uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, apology or not. It's not the apology. It's just the letter that the yeah. Big Ten came out with I today. Did. So, uh, you know, it's it's classic in terms of, you know, this is why we can't happen. But there's was, there was one thing in there I don't know if you saw. It was right at the beginning where he says, you know, we're not going to revisit this. But at the end it says we're going to put together a task force as soon as possible to resume to try to resume fall sports. So I just I, I love the wording in there, and I think what where this is going is that they're really hoping that college football isn't played from the Big Ten's, you know, from the PR standpoint. If the SEC starts playing, and I, and I hope it does, the ACC and the Big Twelve also, and the season gets going, and you know, there's minimal setbacks, and you know, nothing can be perfect, but you know, then we're gonna really start to see the pressure turned up on some of these conferences that decided not to play. I just I feel bad for the kids, and I feel bad for the fact that. You know they're not able to go out there and play, um, but it makes it interesting. It also makes it interesting, Kent, to see what the uh, playoff situation is going to look like too. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Will we even have a definitive playoff? Uh, I assume we will because TV would definitely yeah. want it, and the conferences yeah. would want it. And I love but... the fact that they're—that's the only fall sport that they can't cancel the playoffs because they have no jurisdiction. Yeah, my brother mentioned that to me. My brother goes, well, I guess we're not going to have a champion because the NCAA is canceled. I said, that has nothing to do nothing. with college football. <laughs> yeah. I said, they don't even, they can't even really sanction conference title games, uh, which you would think they might have some jurisdiction over. So, yeah, with what, that's mm-hmm. the one benefit that FBS and before that it was known as Division One a does is they don't care if the NCAA cancels every other thing because they'll fit their playoff in and it will be fascinating if it's three major conferences pretty good likelihood we get two sec or two big 12 or two acc i still find it hard to believe we're going to get a group of five team in mm-hmm. uh but it's maybe, possible yeah. maybe I citadel mean, if they you know play their lone game against clemson and do well <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um maybe you know and and you know we're both wrestling north dakota state yeah let we'll them north state we're both wrestling fans. I, I'm. If we're not going to have the Ohio State season, I will accept it under one condition: give them the the money in the bank briefcase. Let them cash in at one point this season. <laughs> yeah, you get. They just get. Yeah, they're one. They're one. <laughs> if if they would have been the defending champs, yeah, I think there would be some validity to okay. that. Where like Ohio State they is just, canceling fall sports, but they get a seat in the playoff table. Yeah. But you know, one thing that. They just show up in uh, Tuscaloosa, yeah. coming down the stands. <laughs> yeah, I, I and you, I for, for a second there, I thought you were gonna transition and say, speaking of sports, and then WWE, you got uh Pat McAfee out there. He's yeah, I was in NXT this weekend. I actually was gonna fight. bring that up because you know oh, yeah. Pat pretty well, and oh, yeah. uh, good for him getting back into the ring, or getting into the ring for the first time, I should say. Um, against Adam Cole, who I'm a pretty big fan of as well. Uh, that's pretty cool. I, I don't know what to make of this Thunderdome thing. I, I mean, Vince McMahon, obviously one of my one of my heroes from my childhood, but I get the sense that he is just trying whatever it takes right now. He's got Raw Underground, this group called Retribution <laughs> that's doing God knows what. 
Um, it's a lot yeah, of soap like, opera. They're, they're like the Antifa of the WWE. And very now, and, and now he's got, and now he's got a uh, Thunderdome where they're basically the Amway Arena where the Tampa Bay Lightning play. They've got it rented out. No, but, no, no. Or, where where so, the Orlando right, Magic? Right, play. it's the Magic Arena. Sorry, good catch. Um, yeah, they basically rented it out for some Thunderdome viewing experience. So, um, well, I'm here's not the thing, though. It, but, Th- yeah. This is why I think I'm looking forward to that. Is the WWE? You can say what you want about him, or like casual sports fans might give it a hard time and say that's not real. But yet, those same people watch Game of Thrones and watch scripted stuff all the time. So I don't think there's any validity to that. But the thing is, the WWE normally does great production. Like even if you've never been to a WrestleMania, if you happen to go with friends and you're casual, or maybe you watched it when you were a kid and you hadn't watched since. I've never not been to a WrestleMania where I'm not like, this is extremely impressive no matter what. Right. And I think for the WWE and in particular, their like head of production, a guy named Kevin Dunn, he seems excited about this and is saying like, this should really stand out. I'm willing to give them enough. It's a storyline thing. You can kind of roll your eyes and say that might not hit, but on a pure production level, I don't think they would be doing this or be as excited to do it if they didn't expect it to look pretty cool. And let's also be honest, they haven't really made many changes since COVID started. Originally, mm-hmm. they didn't know if they were just going to be doing that through WrestleMania, let's get this done and then reevaluate things. Now it's pretty evident. They're probably not going back with fans, if not certainly not a full arena for at least the rest of this calendar year, if not longer. And now they have to try to kind of change things up so i'm I'm gonna look forward to like putting on smackdown and putting on nxt and putting on SummerSlam, and at least see something that's not the same old performance center which if you're listening to this and you have no idea what that is (laughs) it was basically a place where they trained their up-and-coming wrestlers who you know it's a gym with a ring that's really what it was and they've turned that into what they've used for tv since wrestlemania in april so on this level they now have a full functioning arena to probably create a cool looking production. So I'm all for it. I'm not saying that this is going to, you know, make WWE back to where it once was. Of course not. But like just on a production scale, if you've ever put on AEW recently or you put on WWE, just the production value for AEW has been so much better because they have a gigantic stage and an outdoor amphitheater to use. So it just looks cooler. So I think on that level, it's a good idea for the WWE to just change things up and, we know they have a lot of money. <laughs> Clearly, that arena is not being used. It's not being used for anything, so it's probably pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. for the most part in terms of renting it out. So I don't blame them. I hope it looks good, and I think it will look good. Now, will the matches and the storylines live up to whatever you'd hope for? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But overall, I'm at least glad they're switching things up. I forgot to mention, to uh, another another angle that was uh... – Jeff Hardy, who has real life substance abuse issues, being portrayed as a junkie. So that's another thing they're they're tapping. Uh, see, I love that. I, I know, know it's pretty funny. The, the one thing wrestling does have going for it, and it's why even wrestling fans, whether somebody's politically left or right, most wrestling fans will agree that like wrestling kind of gets that pass where you can take real life situations well, yeah. and just turn it into a storyline. And even from that, politics, I, I mean, look yeah. at the Sergeant Slaughter stuff yeah. in the early '90s. It's like if it works for the characters, I mean, and it's not—it's not like you're walking up to Jeff Hardy and he doesn't know what's happening. He's signing <laughs> off true. on this. He's getting so paid for. To me, it's it. like why not? You know, if Mel Gibson would do a movie and Mel Gibson portrays himself as this drunk anti-Semite and he signs off on it, I don't have any issue with that. If he's—if he's poking fun at himself, that's kind of what Jeff Hardy's doing. Is he's right. just using what he's done 
in a way to try to captivate a storyline. And okay, it might work, it might not work, but you know, it would be way weirder if they did that. Like in the NFL, if they just said to a guy, "Hey, I know you've had issues with fill in the blank." Well, now we want you to be a spokesperson <laughs> about this and talk about it. That would be a weird thing right. to do. But in wrestling, we know they all sit in a writer's room, they pitch ideas, and I'm sure they've pitched ideas where wrestlers have been like, there's no way I'm incorporating that into the storyline. But if they sign off on it, and we know there's been weirder storylines than this, then yeah. uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, I learned that. I mean, we, we remember all the, the memories and uh in the ages of WWE history, but when I really realized that in the moment was Jeff Hardy's brother, Matt, when they brought him back and they put Lita and Edge together yes. based on a real-life affair. Vince McMahon, he's probably the answer to tie this whole thing into a bowl who's most likely to punch an actual official. It's Vince McMahon. Well, um, considering he owns the yeah, officials, yeah. I think he can do it. And by the way, there's now yeah. a mayor in Knoxville, Tennessee, that if you just Google some of his wrestling storylines, they're way more bizarre than anything you can possibly think of involving any current sports athletes. Uh, right. I'm just saying it's out there. It is. There I mean, he, he's threatened to like, we all like, you know, politicians can be phony sometimes, but he's the only politician I know that's ever threatened to set himself on fire. If he lost something. So that <laughs> right. has to count for something. Uh, Kent Brown money, Mitch effect. This was fun. I want to leave with this. We got football coming up college and then the NFL. We're trying to get, you know, full seasons for both as much as we can. Uh, on the betting side, anything you like in either league, anything you're looking at already to kind of circle whether that's week one matchups, some some good futures. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say I'd say college right now. I'm not quite at that level yet, just because I'm almost just wanting to see who ends up on these teams, what the schedules look like, will there be full games? I think there's just too many questions right now. I mean, I, I was in Vegas last weekend, and there weren't even at like the Westgate, which is like the Super Bowl, the top sports book. They didn't even have their NCAA football sheets out because they don't know what the heck's going on. In terms of NFL, you know, I think whenever you look at it, this will be a year that you might not necessarily know if there's limited crowds or no crowds, which teams on paper are going to be good. You'll have a few. There's a few teams you can definitely put, but only maybe three or four that you really feel good about. They're yeah. going to win 10+. plus. But there are some teams that you know will suck. And I think those are the teams early on you bet against. That's, teams yeah. with new coaches. Joe Judge, for instance, and what he's doing with the Giants right now just seems like an absolute it's train wreck. really ridiculous. How, how do they not realize that copying Belichick never works? <laughs> it just yeah, but never again, Belichick does. only was able to get to that point when he started winning. He wasn't doing this when he yeah. was the coach of the Browns or, you know, a Patriots coach when, you know, I know whenever exactly. you looked at Bledsoe as quarterback. And Brady yeah, was there, too. Terrible... That helped also. But, you oh, know, yes. But I think overall, yeah. you want to look at those bad teams and bet against them early or teams that you just feel like might be overhyped. Like I think the bucks right now, mm -hmm. I feel like the, the Tampa Bay bucks are probably overhyped. They're probably going to have some numbers that are strictly set based on. there will be a public type of team early and you know, they open up with the saints. They have some other tough games. Like I wouldn't feel good betting on the bucks. And the same thing goes for other teams that are going through things. The Bengals right now, uh, the bears, I think have a lot of question marks. Uh, you throw in the fact that we just mentioned uh, the Giants. I mean, you could maybe even cross paths with the Washington football team and say that they have some questions. I wouldn't feel great whoever their starting quarterback mm -hmm. ends up being betting on them anytime. So to me right now, I'm leaning towards early in the NFL season, bet against the teams that you know will be bad. Yeah. And then you can figure out who will be good. 
I can just say as somebody that's had a lot of experience with bad coaching, <laughs> there are coaches each year that cost our team a couple games every year, and there's a direct correlation with the win total, so I would just target those teams. Target the teams yes. that you think have bad coaches because they will lead you to the – that will be the yellow brick road to success for sure because we and see also, it all the time. Also, I just want to throw this in. Hard Knocks, I've watched both episodes so far. It's been pretty boring. Yeah, I haven't watched it's it. It's been – I think my highlight was watching Jared Goff just like chip golf balls from his <laughs> upper deck into like a putting green he created. And then second of all, I don't buy into either of these teams being really all that good no, this year. Rams, I think the Rams – The Rams are alarming. I mean, that division is tough, yeah. and they are uh, they are a team with very few y- young assets. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying. I'm buying into the Broncos as a team that's going to step up in the AFC West, mm-hmm. and we know the Chiefs are good for, barring some really big injuries, for 11 plus wins. So, mm-hmm. uh, unless the Raiders are just the basement of the NFL, I feel like where are you going to get your division wins if you're the Chargers? So uh, they might be a team that if you want to take an over under, I think they're right at that like eight and a half mark. Yeah, I'd probably lean towards that under. I don't. I don't think the Chargers are going to be all that good. I think I'm, and I haven't made many decisions yet. Those are very good uh, takes. I would say I'm, I'm close to fading and going low for Green Bay. I feel like a bounce back year is coming. You know, I think a lot went right last year, and I'm just not, not sold on them still. Plus, Rodgers has to still be livid that they took a quarterback in the first <laughs> round when he has a few <laughs> prime years left. We think. And what do you think still... he's more livid about that or the Olivia Munn article <laughs> that came out? We were doing so well. Um, well, also, also I, by the way, another team I would take the under on probably Olivia, Olivia Munn. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd like to find out in the over unders if she wants to let me know. But I think uh, the Seattle Seahawks are a team. They went and traded for Jamal Adams. Yeah, their line play is still pretty bad, and Russell yeah. Wilson's great. He's probably one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the last twenty years. But I have some real question marks. Like they're going to be going up against. Aaron Donald twice. They're going to be going up against that Niners front that is absolutely no joke. Yeah. And then the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals, I think offensively will be pretty good. Not to mention Chandler Jones is a really good mm-hmm. uh, edge rusher for them. So overall, I feel like the Seahawks better get their crap together. There's no guarantee to me that they're going to be like nearly as good as they were last year, where they were, you know, one inch away from being the one seed and thus hosting most likely an NFC championship game, but instead I, I I can see the Seahawks not struggling in that they'll win five or six, but I think they could be a you know borderline playoff type of team that's in there with the likes of the Cowboys or in there with the likes of some teams like that that are kind of, maybe the Packers, for instance, teams that are, you know, trying to get that last playoff spot. Yeah, well, I don't buy them as a contender. That's uh, that's a good analysis too. And I'll just add one last thing. You know, I mentioned quarterbacks or coaches. I should say that you know you kind of fade because they're not that good. You know, you mentioned the Giants. That that quarterback position too. It's that second year. Sometimes we think the leaps there. If you're not high on a certain quarterback as well, because everyone just assumes, oh, they'll definitely get better. How many oh, times have we seen the sophomore The Jets slump? are dead men walking. The Jets. You think I so? Would... Huh? Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. They, yeah. That division yeah, gonna is bad. just going to be crazy. I, God, we we were both. We were, I don't know if you did, but we all should have jumped on the Patriots over before they got Cam Newton because there was some <laughs> serious line movement there. Um, Ken Brown, hey, this was a blast. Appreciate you coming on and uh, you know talking a lot of different topics. Uh, we'll have to probably do some betting talk in the next couple of uh, weeks 
as we go forward. Um, hey, I'm in. You're man. still on. Certainly... You're, you still live on 99 Franklin Street, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As long as uh, just if there's situations, just uh, we'll have to let Trick Patrick punch somebody else in the stomach this time around. But the one thing I'll say is, if we have a week one college football season that week, you know, Miami's playing, Notre Dame's playing. Uh, ACC and the Big 12 are starting up with some of the American and others. So there'll be some stuff to talk about hopefully soon enough when it's actual real-life football. And, uh, I'm, dude, I'm looking forward to it. The basketball and hockey has been nice, but yeah. I'm still football first. Golf's going to be fun. And then that November Masters in a few months Ooh. is going to kind of come out of nowhere. But that's going to be one of the cooler events uh, of the fall, in my opinion. And how about that weekend, Mitch? Mm. I mean, we're looking ahead at this point, but – that weekend for CBS, you're going to have, assuming it happens, uh, Saturday Masters into LSU Alabama primetime Saturday night, and then NFL Sunday and the Ooh. Masters all day that Sunday for CBS. Ooh. So it's like you want to talk about just like printing money and saying that's about as good as you can get. You get weekend Masters, Alabama, LSU, and NFL Sunday for CBS. Wow. That's I, I assume that Jim Nance is just going to be changing his pants often. Changing his pants. A lot of ties to give out. It's going to be a fun day for him, uh, for sure. But Kent, pleasure as always. We'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Absolutely. Take care, buddy. All right, big thanks to Kent Brown. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Didn't dive into baseball too much. Uh, it's uh, been a barn burner. Mookie Betts is hitting the cover off the ball. My Indians are hanging in there. Uh, the Yankees look good. The Red Sox look bad. The Astros are miserable. Love love that last part especially. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for listening. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me, Money Mitch M 21 on Twitter. We're going to have some big tennis tournaments coming back, so we're going to be talking gambling with that, as well as uh, some other topics like the NFL season and more hockey and basketball playoffs in the bubble, in the respective bubble. Should be a good time, is a good time to be a sports fan. Once again, this was the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening, and until next time, I hope you keep enjoying sports.